we feel no gentle thanksgiving, but a boisterous screaming praise for all that you have done beyond our ability to even comprehend the mercy that you have shown to us. We recognize that we are flesh. We are flesh. We are truly earthen vessels. But you have put an excellent glory in us. And you have magnified yourself through your people, O oh Lord God. And now we stand humbly before you asking, do you give us wisdom and understanding and knowledge in the purpose and in the essential beginnings of all of your divine, glorious intention that you determined all by yourself before the foundation of the world. Thank you. Thank you. Amen. I am so excited that you are here, Bishop Thomas, Sister Thomas. I am so honored that you would come. I want to again give great thanks to God for our friends from Mexico and San Diego who at great, great sacrifice came to be here. Isn't it wonderful to stand in the presence of God with their voices ringing? Was that exciting to you? Yeah. Now you can understand when they wade out into a park or in front of a cathedral somewhere in Mexico and start doing what you just saw happening in here. You can understand why people gather, crowds gather, why people start seeing angels in the trees and fire shooting up around these people who are worshiping and people who have no concept of God whatsoever fall on their faces and give their hearts to God. These people walk the streets and listen to the voice of the Spirit to tell them which door to knock on, how to heal the sick, how to cast out devils. These are the people who do this in Mexico. Not robed priest, not high-collared ministry. The saints of God who understand the power and authority and position of the kingdom. We honor you today. You are teaching us. Thank you. You are teaching us. I'm going to see if I can uh, work a piece at a time here. First of all, if I am a father to you, Paul said, I may not be a father to others, but I indeed am an apostle to you because I preached unto you first the gospel. And it's not just the gospel of salvation, but Paul said you may have 10,000 instructors, pedagogos, boy teachers. You can have 10,000 pedagogos, boy teachers, instructors in Christ, but you have not many fathers. And so to some of you, I am a father. And not because I brought you to Christ, but he said, I have fathered you or begotten you through the gospel, not to the gospel, through the gospel. 
Ministry fathers are not the ones who bring you to Jesus. Ministry fathers are those who bring you through Jesus into your purpose and ministry in the kingdom. And that's who I am to some of you or to most of you. And to others, you will be excited to share the interest of what we as a family, this is not an organization, this is not a fellowship. Father's heart is a family of men and women fitly joined together by the Spirit, manifesting unconditional love. It is a safe place. Safe enough for me to tell you things that would be controversial to any theologian and to all churchmen everywhere. Paul said this to the people of Colossae. He said, I rejoice in my sufferings for you and I fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. He said this, you can find it in your first chapter of Colossians. Don't turn there now, I'm going to, if, if you can, if you want. But he said, whereof I am made a minister. Let's all say made a minister. Mm -hmm. Some of us don't understand that process. For example, Jesus said to men he chose to follow him. He said, follow me and I will make you to become or come to be. I will make you. The making of ministry is a very powerful, powerful thought. Someday we'll pursue it if God permits. I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God. Dispensing, we talked about that briefly. To dispense, let's all say to dispense. It means to squeeze out or to give out in portions. If you dispense something from a toothpaste tube, you don't squeeze the whole tube out. You dispense some of it. And then some of it you save and dispense some more, right? Ever heard of a dispenser? Okay, so he said a dispensation or a portion, not everything, not all of God, but for you, a dispensation is given to me for you to fulfill the will of God. In other words, if you don't get what I got, you will never be able to fulfill the word of God. Let's settle that point right now. The apostle made a statement to the leadership of the church that he wrote to in Colossae. God has dispensed to me something and I'm carrying it around and I'm having to tote this around to make up the difference. Some of you remember a message I preached years ago, making up the difference. Anybody re remember that? Let me see. Three, two, three, four hands. Making up the difference that God puts into key ministry, into fathers, into apostolic ministry. You don't get all your stuff directly. That's because God only works relationally and he did not intend to isolate you and to give you stuff all by yourself. So when I hear people talking about all their revelation, all their visions, all that stuff, first thing I want to know is who are you connected to? People call and they finally get me on the phone. Lester, come up here with me. Come up here with me. I need somebody I can really work on today. 
<laughs> I thank God for those who serve and love me. I tell you, I'm going to take a little break here. I'll get back here. I'll get back here. I want to thank you for what you gave to me last night. I, I honestly, I was caught by surprise. Very wonderful surprise. <laughs> and uh, I got tickled because when uh, Ralph, when Bishop Dennis was up here, Tess went over there. I saw her messing around in that with that money. You, you notice that? <laughs> and I found out later that she told you she wasn't so much interested in the money. She was the bird cage. She wanted to take the bird cage home. I said, "Oh no, no. She's interested in the money." <laughs> and then I came. To find out a little later that y'all had a little conversation and Tess and Bishop said to her, this is a wonderful blessing for Papa. She said, Papa? She said, in Texas there's a 50-50 law. Half of everything he's got belongs to me. <laughs> and I understand you said that in Maryland it's 100% belongs to the wife. <laughs> so I got this conversation kind of secondhand. But I, <laughs> but, and then it's really amazing how God has anointed women with a spirit of, I don't know what it is. But watch it, watch it, watch this move. She says to me last night, we get home, she, she said, let's see what's in there. I said, baby, I'm tired. No, no, let's see what's in here. And I said, look, it's not your birthday. She said, yeah, but me and you, we'd be one. <laughs> now watch this. Thomas, this is what she did. Okay, she says, sweetheart, I've been thinking. I said, oh, God, here it comes. Here we go. You ready? She said, you know, you travel and you're so worn out when you get home. I've been thinking about how God has provided. Watch how this is. God has provided. So the new paint in the bedroom and the new carpet. Think about the rest. How wonderful it would be to wake up and you get home. <laughs> Put your feet down in the new carpet and see the new fresh walls. And I said, you're doing this for me. With my birthday money. I am amazed. And God called this an help meet. It's help you meet out your money is what that is. I have made one decision, however, based on last night. I feel such deep gratitude. I really do. I thank you all. It's just amazing. I, I just see. I had in mind an an elk trip in Colorado, in the mountains. That's what struck my mind. You know, pull the bow to full draw. See him come out. Seven points, widespread. He's probably 380. He might go 390. Bedroom carpet. <laughs> it could kill your dreams. 
But one thing I made a determination about. Next year, I don't know where we'll have our Father, Son, me. I don't know. I want you all to be there. How many of you will come next year? You come next year? Come on, commit something, for goodness sake. Okay. But I, made, I don't know where it will be, but I do know when it will be. It will be on the 29th, the 30th, and 31st of March. Because that's my birthday. Somebody told me one time, one pastor, he said, the Lord is wonderful, isn't she? I said, what? I said, oh, I was just thinking about my wife. And I said, yeah, God has a way of making all these things both humorous and beautiful. I was talking to you about dispensing. So as a spiritual, and I don't want to, I'm, I'm not going to preach that as a message this morning. I'm not going to preach I'm going, I'm going to see if I can take pieces of a puzzle and pull them together and make them fit for you. But I do want to say that as I grow older and I realize that I, last night I was talking about I am withering, I, you know, and I saw the grin on some of your faces, but I did make one statement in there repeating what David said. He said, and, and this was in light of his growing older. He said, but now is the set time. Everybody say set time. The word set means to sovereignly place. This is not something determined by men. There's no committee. Nobody called a cabinet meeting. They didn't call us on the phone and ask for our information or ask us if we would approve. This was something God predetermined before the foundation of the world that at a moment in time, there would be a set time that God would favor Zion. To favor means to give more attention to one thing rather than to the other. Zion, according to Psalm 50, is the perfection of beauty. Let's all say the perfection of beauty. Out of Zion, the perfection, the word perfection means completion of beauty or the completion. Are you all still with me? Yes. Am I going too fast? Okay, Zion, the completion of all of God's purposeful things. It is the consummation. Are you listening to this? The consummation of his finished work. It is the manifestation and the realization of his predetermined purpose and will. It is the bolima of God, that which he predetermines before the foundation of the world. It's not what he wants or wishes. It's what he has determined will come to pass. The set time. There is a moment when God says, okay, now is the set time. This is when I predetermined that in time, although I am a God of eternity, but in time I have determined. See, he's slain from the foundation of the world. But there was a set time when at Calvary, on a cross, in manifestation, that which he predetermined came to pass in time. In that, do you follow me so far? So even though in God's predetermination it was already planned and scheduled, in manifestation there has to be a set time when God says, okay, now down here in time, that's when this will take place. And so I have set a time where I am going to stop favoring other things and I'm going to show more attention to Zion. 
Now, do you want to become more specific? Zion is, in essence, the fulfillment of God's essential purpose in his redemption as we know it, the kingdom. It is the third dimension of the tabernacle. It is the holy of holies. It is the seventh day of God. It is the third dimension of grace. It is Mount Zion. It is the new Jerusalem. It is the day of the Lord. All of those are synonymous terms in a third dimension. As I have taught you through all the years, the church is not the third dimension. The church is the second dimension. The church is not the holy of holies. The church is the holy place, the sanctuary. The church is represented in the candlesticks, not in the Ark of the Covenant. We got that? Does everybody understand? Okay, so we know that the church then is the passageway to another place in God. It is blocked and barred by a thing called a veil. So between the second and the third dimension of the tabernacle of Moses, which simply was a shadow of things to come, even Christ. So the outer court is the fifth day. The sanctuary is the sixth day. And the seventh day is the day of the Lord. It is the Holy of Holies. It is the kingdom of God. So for those who are trying to bring kingdom mentality back into a church idea, they do not understand that it is a totally different administration. That one must support the other. Now let me do... Are you still following me? Let, now let me put it in another term. The church is also the woman. Let's all say the woman. The Bible calls us the bride. Somewhere in our brideship and somewhere in our marriage to Christ, somewhere in that second dimension, the church should have gotten pregnant. With a seed. Woo! Wow. You get, you understand? She should, if she's in bed with Jesus, she should be pregnant. There's nothing wrong with his virality. There's nothing wrong with her essential reception. She has the ability to conceive. He is the living seed. You can't get into bed in church and not have something reproduced. There has to come from that relationship a seed. It must be birthed out through the hymen, which also is another word for veil. That's why to be born again is not to be saved. You don't get born again from sin to salvation. You get born again as Nicodemus from one dispensation to another from one day he was as saved as any man could be there was no bloodshed there was no cross yet there was no death burial resurrection yet he was someone seeking for greater truth Jesus in seeing that in him said you must be born again he's not trying to get Nicodemus saved Nicodemus is a teacher of the law that's all there was then he's just trying to get him to see that if you're going to you are a ripe candidate Come here, Nicodemus. You are a you have sought me out 
whether by day or night, whether you're trying to hide, sneak, or whether you have a day job and you couldn't get here till later, or maybe you didn't want the crowd, you want to avoid the shuffle, you have come to me talking. If you think the man was a scaredy cat, you ought to realize that he, along with Joseph of Arimathea, are the two who had the courage to go beg the body of Jesus. He said, if I can't have him alive, I'll take him dead. He's so powerful and enormous in my mind and in my spirit. I want him. Alive or dead, I want him. And that kind of seeking has that terrible, hungry, gnawing thing that grabs the attention of deity. And Jesus looked at him and said, hey man, you got to be born again. You are a ripe candidate for the kingdom. And if you're not born again. And so out of this woman, this is not something you just graduate to by changing doctrine. This is not something you get by changing your spiritual approach. Or by just changing services from one evening to another. This is not something you do by adjusting church or shuffling chairs. If the Titanic is sinking, you do not just change the chairs around and hope she stays afloat. You either get off the boat or you're going down with it. If God is showing special attention to something different than we have been focusing on in our past and we continue to focus on something that God is now, a, he's not abandoning it. He just considered that you understood why the times that he did speak to you in that manner should have brought you into a spiritual education as to what his future intention would be. So for you to live in something God did <coughs> will always kill Isaac. Yeah. I love this. I say it I've, almost every time. I say it over and over again. You know what I'm going to do to you. God said, take thy son, thine only son, to one of these mountains of Moriah that I will show you. Offer him there a burnt offering unto me. If you don't understand a proceeding word, if you don't know that God does change, if you don't understand that there are two basic idolatries that live in the church. How many basic idolatries? Two of them. One of them is that we have preached that God never changes. That is a lie. His character never changes. His truth is everlasting. His nature and his character never deviates, ever. But how God deals with you from time to time, season to season, and from age to age is constantly changing. If not, you should have brought a lamb to church today and a knife to cut its throat. So the God that said, lay... The God that said, kill your son, burn him up. Then when the knife is lifted, said, lay not thine hand on the lad. If God never changes, then what we do is speak in tongues a little bit, plunge the knife in because we say, hey, if God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Yes, Boom. And we kill Isaac and kill our promise and live in death. Watch this. Doing exactly what God said to do. Kill your son. Because we are not focusing on where God is now. We're focusing on God. Where God was then. So I keep. 
Thank you, sweetheart. Did you do this all by yourself? Yes, sir. It's totally amazing. I'm just so blessed. Thank you. That'll be fine. I appreciate it. And she, and she loved it. I love you, sweetheart. <laughs> Did I embarrass you, baby? I'm sorry. I apologize. I thought that was cool. I may have to let my hair go. I've been thinking about a pigtail. Get it down here just about shoulder high or something. A little red rubber band around it or something. Because God was focusing on Abraham's willingness. And Abraham's ability to obey. Because later he said, now I know. Why did God know now something he didn't know before? He knew in eternity, but he did not know until manifestation proved his eternal purpose and whether man could abide in the eternal purpose of God. Because only those can move from glory to glory and from faith to faith. Does that make sense to you? So, if God is favoring a set time and he's showing a focus on a different aspect of his eternal intention. Did I say that? What did I say? What kind of intention? His eternal intention. If he's focusing on a different portion of that now and we continue to focus on something that he was focusing on a while ago. We can always claim we are in the will of God. Because we're doing exactly what God said to do. And we kill our promise. Live in death. Doing exactly what God said to do. Because we did not recognize the passing of the age. If you miss the moving of the ages. We like to link God up to what we in religion call dispensations. Joey, we talk about dispensationalism. And that means that God deals with people in a certain way in a certain time. Okay? A dispensation. A period of time in which God deals with man in a certain way at a certain time. Law was a dispensation of law. But now... Paul said, you've heard of the dispensation of grace. What about the dispensation of the church? Let's all say dispensation or dispensing of the church. See, I have come to know in the spirit that the age has passed. Now, this is going to be a shock. Some of you are going to love me when I walk out here. Some of you are going to just really be freaked out. But I'm just going to tell you that I have to deliver this before I wither and before I'm totally gone. I have to deposit. That's why I'm looking at my apostolic council. I'm looking at my ministry sons and daughters. And I'm telling you, someday I will not be here. You may be thrilled to death about that. But I am going to tell you that you're going to be vastly disappointed if I do not deliver to you that which God has dispensed to me. Because God has given me some stuff for you that you'll never get by yourself. And that's why it's extremely important that you listen to me today. 
omit my flesh, avoid my humanity. You can be critical of my person, but do not avoid my word. Because God has put in me an absolute astonishing gift of revelation that I don't even understand. I didn't choose it. I didn't ask for it. I didn't pray for it. He just made a determination before the foundation of the world and, and the lot fell on me and here I am. I do the best I can. It does not make me a holy man. It just gives me the opportunity to speak a holy word. Hallelujah. Come on, let's glorify God. I must deliver that to you because when I am silent and when the winds blow softly over my grave and grass finds its root system above my face, I want somehow in the spirit now to know that the word of God is alive in you that the seed of God that he gave to me somehow I successfully dispensed to the son Timothy the things that thou hast heard of me commit it did not say give to commit means to hand over as a treasure affairs commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. In other words, you've got to get it to the third dimension. It comes from me to you and from you to them. If you don't get to the third dimension, you never build a kingdom. You may be David and have a key, but you cannot build the house because David is the second in the line of the kings. He is a far better character than Solomon. He's a far better man than Solomon. But Solomon can build the house because it's not who he is, it's where he is. Because Solomon was in the set time, in the time of God's focus. The third dimension, the third of the kings, Saul, David, Solomon. We are now in a set time where God is taking favor from church anity and focusing it on. Now I've been saying this stuff for 40 plus years. And it's interesting to me that just now we're starting to be able to hear it. It's amazing to me. It's almost like these words were practice in the past. They were like so many songs sung by birds in treetops unnoticed because we were too busy listening to babbling brooks. And so now suddenly our focus has changed from the brook Oh, hear the song of the bird. He's been singing the whole time. We just didn't hear that because we're listening to something else. And so what God is trying to say to us now is you can have church all you want, but you're going to absolutely lose your focus. You will absolutely dry up like a shuck and blow away. If church does not propound and expose in its essential operation the workings of the kingdom, the woman gives all her energies to the birthing of this child. She is the woman clothed with the sun, Revelation 12. The moon is under her feet. And on her head is a crown of 12 stars. That means she's under complete authority. Her foundations are complete. The sun of righteousness. This is God, the father. The moon is a type of mother. Her moon, she receives light. The moon has no light to shine. 
She only receives the light of the sun. That's the receptive. That's the woman. That is the soulish nature. It is the sun, the moon, and the stars. Mentions 27 times in scripture in that order. Sun, moon, stars. He gave the greater light to rule the day. The lesser light to rule the night. And he gave the stars also. You can't even talk about the Holy Spirit being poured out in Joel. You can't even talk about the outpouring of the Holy Ghost promised without talking sun, moon, and stars. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see vision. All my servants and my handmaidens. And that day will I pour out my spirit. They shall prophesy. Peter will say this is that. Well don't forget what else this was according to that. And that was the sun shall be dark and the moon turned to blood. And the stars of heaven shall fall. That was all in the same breath. Amazing how religion and theologians can take that. And put 2,000 years between those two things. When they're in the very same verse. Amazing to me. All God is saying is I'm going to take the glory of the past house because all of those are dimensions of glory. There's one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars. All glory is not the same. He's turning out the lights on an old dispensation. He's turning out the lights on what he had focused on. And the spotlights were on that. The spotlight was on the law. Paul said, I would not even have known sin if it hadn't been for the law. What God did in that era was amazing and powerful and fantastic. However, when this Holy Spirit is poured out, I'm shutting off the lights on that and I'm turning on new lights over here. As a matter of fact, he says, I am the light of the world. See, it's one thing to be a spotlight on a nation. It's something else to be the light for the world. That's why the church struggles. And if you keep your root system simply in church, then you will have to change the scripture. For God so loved the church that he gave his only begotten son. That's not what he said. God so loved the woo, God so loved the world that he gave. But you think the world is the church. You think the whole spiritual world is church. And it is not. Well, my, my. No, it is not. It is not. So, how do I proceed here? I am not lost for things to say. I am lost for how to say it. So you say, okay, you don't believe in the church anymore. I didn't say that. I didn't say that. Well, I guess you think the church is not important anymore. I didn't say that either. I just said that while God has allowed us in the past years to focus on the church, one of the great problems is that our focus on the church was not a focus on the purpose of the church. We have sinned the sin of old Israel. And the sin of old Israel was this, that God spoke promises and covenants to Abraham. And the promises and covenants were these. Womack, here's what he said. In thee and in thy seed. Come on, Bishop, come on here. I'm going to get you next. <laughs> in thee and in thy seed shall... Help me. How many... All nations of the earth. The reason why I'm putting my hand on you, Abraham, is not because I just like you. 
I like you as a person. I'm going to love your seed. You're going to struggle to get it because it's going to be a long time coming. It's going to take a lot of faith and a lot of endurance and a lot of trust to get there. But if you ever do get that seed, it's in you and in that seed that I am going to, and it'll have to go to the third dimension. It'll be you and then it'll be Isaac and then it'll be Jacob. And only Jacob then can birth 12 sons who will be the 12 stones that will be the tribes that will be a nation. So if I'm going to get a nation, I have to get you to the third generation. Just like if I'm going to have a kingdom, I have to get you past David as awesome as he was. Warrior psalmist, key to the Philadelphian church. Our hope, the old text pointed to by Peter at Pentecost. David, our father, being a prophet, seeing all these things. I have to get past him over to Solomon, a whoremonger, in order to get a temple built. Because it's not just who you are. It's where you are. And so I'm going to take Abraham, then I'm going to get Isaac. See, you think God is so importantly concerned with your flesh. He's not nearly so concerned with your flesh. He is fulfilling his purpose in the earth. That's why he will call the Assyrian armies the armies of the Lord. And all they're doing is tearing Jerusalem to pieces. You didn't get that, did you? You know, the armies that came to destroy, Nebuchadnezzar, the armies that came to God called them the armies of the Lord. He said, oh, I've raised Pharaoh up. <laughs> the only reason I raised the rascal up is so I could harden his heart. For this purpose have I raised thee up that I might harden thy heart. Oh, you thought Pharaoh was a bad old man. Let my people go. Uh -uh. You ain't going nowhere. Say, boy, he's bad. No, he couldn't help himself. Before he was ever born, God ordained I'm going to take that piece of humanity down there and I'm going to set him right in front of Moses and I'm going to test Moses and I'm going to mess with the people and all of that through this man because I only raised him up. The reason why his daddy and his mama conceived that rascal is so I could use him to harden his heart. And I will harden whom I will harden. And I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And you thought you were choosing God. And the whole time God in his intention and ordination had determined who and what you were and what you would become. You are so concerned about your flesh. God cares very little about that. He cares a whole lot about his spiritual intention. He wants to get his will done in the earth. Now that didn't get very rousing response but... Because the church focused on the wrong thing. Because all you get when you focus on the problem of sin is sin. You become what you behold. That's why all the Pentecostal preaching and the charismatic preaching against sin and unrighteousness and ungodliness produces a constant stream of sin and ungodliness and unrighteousness. And some of the most prominent preachers who preach it are the ones that you see on television collapsing, going to pieces and falling because we have not focused on the righteousness that is not of you but of Christ. You couldn't get, you couldn't get right enough anyhow. You couldn't get good enough if you tried. You can't escape enough evil. You can't live righteously enough. There's none good. I'm sorry. None. Not you either. There's none good. No, not one. That's why we should never have criticized our brother or our sister. We should never have condemned one another. 
It's not just because it's a bad thing to do. It's because you have no right to do it. It's dirt calling dirt, dirt. You say, but I'm better than that. No, you're not. No, you're not. You don't want God to unload your secret closet. You don't want him to prevail and then pull back the curtains on your secret ideas. You don't want God to show the world things you think about when you know nobody else is in the room. You don't want that because you are a piece of hide. The only thing that you're worth is being a container for him. He is the glory. He gets the honor. He is our righteousness. Hallelujah. Woo. I was Spanish. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think it was. I don't know what it was. <laughs> and so what we did in church was we did not do in church or ceased doing in church. Okay. The church has to exist or I can never get to the veil. And if I get to the veil and the church has not done her work, I have no clue as to how to get through. In other words, I cannot be birthed into the kingdom. And this is why, did you ever, do you remember the passage, Hebrews chapter 6? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, you ready for this? Therefore leaving the foundation of the principles of Christ. Let's all say leaving. Now wait a minute. We don't want to leave the laying on of hands. We want to leave the rest. It's not leaving as to abandon. It is leaving as to focus totally on the. When I'm in the third grade, I do not get to the third grade by leaving the idea that two plus two is four. I got that in the second grade. And so when I leave, I do not leave it as to abandon it. I take it with me. I go from glory to glory. From faith to faith. In other words, it is a passing through and collecting as I go. So that when I finally get to the veil, I have collected in my trek through the second dimension. The light, faith, shining on the bread, the word. Okay? Creating incense, worship and praise, glory and understanding. By the time I finally do get to the veil, I have learned how to lose my life and to gain his mind. That's why the suke, the souls in Revelation are found under the altar. Because I have learned by the time I walk from the first dimension to the veil, I have learned how to lose my mind. I can go in, but I have to leave my head at the door. 
put this into segments and see if I can get these pieces to fit. Are we okay? Nobody will ever accuse me of preaching. I would be found not guilty. <laughs> this is not preaching. I don't know what this is. This is something else. If I can deposit in you. Paul said, I really long to be with you. He didn't say so I can preach you my latest message. That I might impart unto you some spiritual thing. That's really what I'm hungry to do. So let me show you. The apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. They were ordained to do something that Christ did when he died. Now watch this. And you go to 68 of Psalm and find the root system for the fourth of Ephesians. 68 of Psalm. It says, well, the, the 17th verse, if you start the first, let God arise, his enemies be scattered, etc. Et the sixth verse of the 18th, of the 68th chapter then says, uh, God said of the solitary and families, bring out them, they're bound with chains. The 11th verse says, the Lord gave the word, great was the company of them that published it. Kings and armies did flee apace, she that tarried only divided the spoil. If you go on down to verse 17, the chariots of God are 20,000, even 20,000 of angels there with him as they were in the Holy Mount. And then the 18th verse is where Paul drew his fourth of Ephesians. He said, he has ascended on high. He has that captivity. He received gifts from men that the Lord God may dwell among them. Let's all say Lord God. <clears throat> but he was broken to pieces on a cross. And so when he ascended, he's the same one who descended first into the lower parts of the earth. What did he do? He led captivity captive. You don't want me to go there. Because the Bible said when he did that, he preached to the spirits in prison. Everybody want to jump up and tell me what he preached? You say, well, who were these spirits in prison? They were the ones who died in the flood. When once the disobedient, they were disobedient, when once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, they're the ones who rejected the message, died in the flood, drowned in the water, unrighteous generation, an age passed. We think they're burning in hell. The fact is that Jesus went and preached to them. You want to talk about what he preached? He preached the gospel. For this cause was the gospel preached to those who are dead. See, we don't want to understand the cross. Because it eradicated sin from Adam all the way to the cross. And then killed sin forever from the cross into eternity. He paid the price for the whole living and dead world. Oh, I see. That, that didn't settle so good, did it? That's because those are the scriptures the church has ignored forever. Because we do not understand reconciliation. Because we don't understand that it is the ministry of the church it's the only ministry that works in the kingdom is the ministry of reconciliation. And it is in a word. So if you don't get the word of God in that, you do not have anything to preach. And that's why you will be going now through the book of Romans, step by step by step, to see what Paul meant. And then the next thing you do is, I feel like we really need to study Corinthians. Let's take the first book first, and we'll go through it step by step. And we're working through the whole Bible, starting with Genesis this year, and our people are learning to read the whole thing. And you learn more and more about Jesus, ever learning and never coming to the knowledge of the truth. Not the doctrinal knowledge, the knowledge of the truth truth of who you are and what your purpose in the kingdom was supposed to be because the church has not done her job. She refuses to be pregnant because she continually takes spiritual contraception.
We are busy enjoying the activity of procreation. But we want no progeny. Because if you get babies, you become responsible for who you are. You can't blame it on the preacher or the Sunday school teacher. We don't want the ministry of saints because that means that you have to find out who you were in him before the foundation of the world. And you can't blame it on the course and what the church is doing and the vote that you take to kick the preacher out or keep him in. You can't do that anymore. It ceases being a system and becomes a very personal issue about why was I born and why am I here. And you find out that the preacher is not your responsible parent. Because if you ever grow up, you can stop blaming your mama and your daddy for all your stuff. And so it's easier to go to school and then move back into their basement. You go through church and then for the next 30 years live in the cellar of the same church because the education was incomplete and you didn't get a job. That's why church members are totally unemployed. That's why they gossip and kill each other because unemployment also causes the crime rate to go up. Anybody who doesn't have something to do, they start fighting. Finding ways to hurt each other. And since they don't have anything to do in God's world, they are continually working on each other. That's why they criticize the way you do your hair, the way you wear this, the why you shouldn't have done that, why you shouldn't have been there, why you shouldn't drink that, why you shouldn't go there. Why don't you leave them alone? Why don't you let God speak to them? After all, that's what the Holy Ghost was for in the first place. You didn't become their God nor their holy guide. The apocletos who comes alongside to give assistance and help, that Holy Ghost was to lead them and you and guide you into all truth. Which also means that the new birth experience is not graduation. It is birth, in fact. Well, let's see. Now, where am I going to go from here? We doing okay so far? I had a funny thing happen. I don't know why. Uh, yesterday, I told Tess when I was thinking about time. Now is the time that God is going to favor His completion of His original intention. And I know. And I looked at my watch, and when I looked at it, the second hand stopped on it. Now I've had this watch for what 12 years. It was given to me as a birthday gift. And when I looked at it. Second hand stopped. It stopped. I thought, why would it stop just when I looked at it? And it, st and it stayed that way for several seconds. I think you all were in, were you in the room with me when that happened? I said, my, my watch just stopped. And I looked up. And when I looked down, it was going again. And God spoke to me in my spirit and said, I'm stopping time as you know it. And I'm beginning time in another era. The age has passed. This is not the age of the church. The, oh, no, 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 don't, no, don't, don't. The church must be there. But the focus on church things has stopped. And I'm going to tell you why. Because we don't know what to focus on in the church. The apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher were supposed to be those professors in the school called the church. The church 
its whole position and its total responsibility was to do three simple things. How many years have I screamed this? It is number one for the perfecting that word perfect completing maturing it is to complete or mature saints it's not to keep them in your walled structure forever you have a job to bring them number one to maturity number two for the work of the ministry not your ministry not your prophet it's not so you say yay thus saith the Lord it's for the work of their ministry they are the ones God you're not the army preacher. You're not the army. You're the instructor. They are the army. Now is the time that the kingdom should be given to the saints. We absolutely leave them lame, blind, and halt. And a lot of it is done on purpose. So that the instructor can always receive honor while the saints remain impotent in their potential. We consider anyone who grows too much a threat to our position. When the greatest joy of your life ought to be to raise a stud son. Nothing should cause you greater joy than that men and women under your charge and authority would grow into a powerhouse of glorious spiritual potential. They were to grow the saints up, mature the saints. Number two, the work of their ministry. You should identify them. Find out who they are. They don't know how to find that out, but the Apostle, Prophet, Evangelist, Pastor, Teacher is supposed to help them find out and help them understand. See, because our thing is, if you're not a preacher and if you're, if you're not a pastor or an evangelist, then you better be a really good worship and praise leader because you ain't going to get paid nothing in ministry if you're not a pastor an evangelist, and you better have a list of good messages too so you can go from place to place and not repeat yourself too often because you want to come back next year and you make sure you got a pretty good repertoire. And then next of all, if you can sing like a 500-pound canary, then hey, 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 then you can make a record and buy a bus. And that right there will put you in the ministry. Now, outside of that, everybody else is supposed to sit in the bleachers and patty cake for Jesus and watch us parade with our epaulets back and forth across the stages of our fine churches with our high words and our lofty thoughts when, in fact, rather than trying to get saints to listen to our speeches, we should be imparting into them the possibility of their purpose. You are only there for them. They are not there for you. They will be there for you if you are there for them. 
And that's where spiritual authority has to be taught. Because no one taught spiritual authority. Because we run the church like a business in that we are busy voting on things and deciding on things and having a whole board of people that determine right up to the point of hiring and firing the preacher. And all of that is, abs this is not a democracy. The church never was a democracy. It's a theocracy. It's the rule of God through his bishops and elders. It never was a democracy. I'm losing you. Too much stuff? Come on, hang in here with me. You get to rest all afternoon. Come on, gear up your mind. Let's stand up for a minute. Stand up. Stretch. We only got three more quarters to go through the first. <laughs> Come on, pop your back. Get your neck loosened up. All right. <clears throat> Sit down. Now. See, what has to happen is we have to find the proper relationship between the church and the kingdom. The woman in Revelation, I alluded to that a moment ago. Are you all still here with me? Okay. All right, Gary, you hurry and come back, okay? All right. I understand. I know the situation. The older I get, the more I go. That's no, that was not anybody's business. I just made it everybody's business. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> Come on, smile. Somebody, God. You look like you kissed a mud fence this morning. <laughs> See, the church is that intermediate area. In the outer court, my sacrifices cause me repentance. The labor gives me reasonable washing and cleansing in baptism and in the washing of water by the word. And then when I come into this relationship in this next dimension with light and bread and worship and praise. Anybody remember when I preached to you about being satisfied with Rachel's sons, the first four sons born? I don't want to preach that anymore, but the truth is that's usually where the church is running around and around in the first four sons. If you don't get a dreamer somewhere down the road, you better get a Joseph because all of your other ten sons are going to die in famine if you don't get somebody who can dream a dream and survive Egypt because the church is not forged in Bethlehem. You will die and starve in Bethlehem. The church is forged in Egypt. Okay, deep breath. What was supposed to happen in church, in my experience, in kindergarten and in grade school and in middle school and high school and in college, I was supposed to get an education. I was supposed to be taught by the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. I was, I was supposed to be taught by them by this set ministry crew. I was supposed to be taught how I get through this veil or how I am birthed into the kingdom. I was supposed to learn that. My teachers were supposed to teach me that. I'm not supposed to go round and round and round those altars all of my life. I was supposed to come through and understand that the veil is not the back wall of God's intention. 
the veil separates me. Let's talk about the veil. Upon this rock, I will build my church. Now, this is not, I, I don't have to argue this point with you. We're not talking about upon on Peter, Simon Peter. No, because he was just Petros. Petros is a small throwing stone. Yeah. You're, I say to you, you're Petros. You're just a little small stone that has fallen off the big rock ledge because Petro is a rock ledge that goes down into the root system and past the terra firma, past the topsoil, into a substructure of rock that cannot be moved. That's who I am. It's on that that we will build the church. You will always have little stones falling off the ledge. But Peter, you're just a stone falling off the ledge. I'm the ledge. On that, it was no big deal when Simon Peter said, Thou art the Christ. Because they were all looking for Messiah. Are you all still here with me? Every, the, all of Israel was looking for Messiah. But So when, when he came with miracles and signs, hey, okay, yeah, you're Messiah, no problem. But when he said the son of the living God, that changes the whole scope of things. That means that Yahweh has, in fact, Jehovah has taken on flesh. That means that God is walking around in our world. That's a different deal. Wow. Thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Wow. That's when Jesus said, hey, 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 hey. I asked you what men said, but flesh and blood didn't reveal that one to you. You got that out of the eternal archives of God's original intention. That God would literally himself robe himself in flesh. Walk around in our world and reconcile the world into himself amazing and then that that God would when we come into his likeness and character he would put that same thing in us so that that ministry of reconciliation he would give to his saints and we would become the word made flesh that's why in John he says the good seed is the word of God. Let's all say the word of God. But in Matthew. He's yeah. In Matthew he says. The field is not the church. The field is what? Field is the world. He that soweth the good seed is the son of man. And the good seed. Are the children of the kingdom. I thought it was the word of God. It is. But the word of God is not black ink on India paper. The word of God is when God takes his word and his eternal purpose and wraps it up in you. And you walk around in his world. That's what the ecclesia was supposed to become. Is God walking in his world. In your job. Not just a preacher, not just an evangelist, not just a song leader. No, you should never covet to do that. If God ordains that and calls that, that's fine. But if not, you should be perfectly happy going to Dillard's to work every Monday morning. Because you understand that when you go to your occupation, 
your occupation also is your kingdom ministry. Yeah. That's why Joseph said to his brothers, when Pharaoh asks you, what is thine occupation? Don't lie to them. Say, we and our fathers are about cattle. Why are you going to do that? Because I've got to be honest in my world about who I really am. Because all shepherds were an abomination to the Egyptians. But if you go ahead and tell what God says you are in Egypt, God will raise you up. He will absolutely thwart Pharaoh and bring you out a mighty nation. But you've got to be honest about who you are. I am a shepherd. Who are you? I pump gasoline. What do you do? I work at the law office. What do you do? I work at the drugstore. What do you do? I don't do nothing. I draw welfare. Get a job. <laughs> because if you don't get a job, you ain't got no place to work for the kingdom. Because my occupation is, in fact, who I am. Don't be afraid to be who you are. Don't try to become a preacher. Be who you are. If the church had taught that years ago, we wouldn't have everybody with their finger in the Bible begging to teach Bible class and mad because you won't let them have ministry so they'll go across town to another church where they'll let them lead the singing. That's a... I almost said a bad word. That's a bunch of baloney. How you like that? That was pretty tame, wasn't it? <clears throat> you're not leaving because you're upset, are you? He speaks Spanish. You don't even know what I'm saying. <laughs> Woo! Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Because if we had put the... But see, we can't afford to do that because we've got a multi-million dollar building to pay for. And so I cannot allow people, I cannot allow this to happen because it will mess up my church plan. Because I have some great preacher friends who used to be ministry, quote unquote, sons to me who pastor thousands of people who on my mention of that in their house immediately said, I love you so much, but I can't do that. I can't do that. How am I going to pay for this building? That was the answer I got. If these saints all become preachers, I didn't say they're all going to become preachers. I said they're going to become the stewards of a kingdom message. They have it in them. They are the witnesses. Ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord. They are the ones in their work. No, no, no. I know what they'll do. That's because that's what you did. That's why you stole somebody's saints and went off someplace and started a little place. <clears throat> yeah. And so immediately, one after the, and especially those who have a lot to lose TV ministries, huge facilities, they are the ones who bail out first. They've got to keep their focus on church. Now, let me get, you say, well, Church is important. No, no, church is all, you can't even get there without church. Have I made that clear? You want a baby? You don't just go out and, you know, this is the lie that mamas used to tell their kids. Mommy, where did I come from? Well, you really want to address that? 
You want to talk about that? You want to get into detail? No, no. Well, mommy and daddy went out in the backyard and we planted cabbage. And here out of this cabbage plant grew this little baby. And we went out and got you and wrapped you up. Hallelujah. Oh, planting cabbage. Are you kidding me? Golly, what an excuse for such a wonderful item as relationship. And so we tell lies to the people because they don't really know who they are because they don't know where they came from. They think Jesus saved them because they were lost, and that isn't true. He saved them because they had purpose. They were lost, but he didn't save them because they were lost. He saved them when they were lost, but he saved them because of his purpose and grace, which he purposed in himself before there ever was a world. He looked at a saint and said, I've, Joe, i got something for you to do. And you don't have to become a preacher. You don't have to change your culture. You don't have to dress up in a fine suit. I want you like you are because nobody can reach who you can reach. I'm going to give you power and authority in the spirit. I'm going to take one of your boys and turn him into an apostle. Yes, sir. Isn't that amazing? You say, well, who decided that? God decides that. You didn't choose. That's why you need to surrender to it and submit to it. Whether you like it or not. Wow. Okay, now where was I? I was busy before I got mad there. I was, I was busy doing something spiritual. <laughs> Joe, what, we had something going on there just for a minute. And then I got that holy devil on me. And it, <laughs> so, God, with his great intention for us, determined that he would take us as we are, use us in our world. And the church was supposed to cultivate that. And the apostles, prophets, evangelists, they were supposed to cultivate that and to give you an understanding of your purpose. And let, me, let, me just, let me just shift here just a little bit, okay? And I know, I can tell right now, we get, is my watch set on Atlanta time or, was it 12? Is it coming up to I reckon there's a lot of folks in here who need to go to the bathroom. I don't know. Are we okay? I see us streaming in and out. If that's all right with you, I'm just going to carry on for a while. Okay. See, we have, we have created this thing about gathering people. Watch this. Okay, he didn't save me because I was lost. He saved me when I was lost, but he didn't save me because I was lost. See, because in him, I was in him before I was in time. I've said this so many times, I'm sure I'm wearing you out with this, but I've got to get this in. You've got to understand this, okay? And if I've said it a thousand times to you before, I'm going to say it to you one more time, okay? And that is that before I was in time, I was in him, I knew you before you were formed in your mother's womb. And not just that, but I gave you a job description and ordained you a prophet to the nations. I had your job description fixed before you were born, before your mama and your daddy ever got together, 
before any of that ever happened and you came into time, I already had figured out who you were and what you would do for my eternal kingdom. Because all of us are for him, by him, and through him, all things consist. It hasn't got a lot to do with me. It has everything to do with who I am for him. And so, then when I came into time through my mother and my father, I took on this flesh that will eventually hold this marvelous treasure, this word of God, this flesh, this hide of mine, in which I wrap up this marvelous treasure, this spirit of God that walks around in me. I know that I'm just frail and I'm just flesh, but he is God. I know that I'm weak, but he's strong. I know that I fail, but he never fails. I know that I have problems, but he is altogether righteous. I don't have to worry about me because he holds me in the hollow of his hand. And even if I make a mistake, he will not ever write it down. Blessed is the man to whom God will not impute even iniquity. He doesn't even write it down. This thing is so precious to me that even if he's got a serious problem, I'm not throwing him away. You throw him away. The church will throw him away. God won't throw him away. Because he's got an eternal purpose. Okay. I, uh, let me just get to it here, okay? Now, the reason why I'm carrying on like this so is because if we keep focusing on the things that haven't worked, if we keep focusing and then try to take the message I'm teaching you now and drag it back into that dimension, all you are doing is killing it. Because this is not a pull. See, I've said for years, the best way for you to kill a revelation is to accept it. And then to make it part of your original idea. Because if you can take a revelation and make it a part of your theology... Oh, yes, we need to go out and reach the lost. And your job needs to become, your occupation becomes your ministry. You need to get up and go and do the work of God. I hate to tell you this, but what I'm teaching you right now, what I'm saying right now, may tear your thing up. It could tear all your systems down because it will rearrange your stuff. You cannot drag this message into your old idea. You cannot put this wine in an old wineskin. Your wineskin will burst. You say, oh, I don't want to lose the wineskin. That's not the worst thing you lose. You lose the wine. Forget your wineskin. It's the wine you lose. That's the great loss. Are you okay? Take a deep breath, okay? Now, if I understand things correctly, I will understand that now the church, it has to function. The woman has to function. She must give birth as she does, Revelation 12. You say, oh, that's Israel birthing Jesus. No, it's not. No, it's not. 
That's what all the theologians want to tell you. And they're also going back looking for the ashes of the red heifer. They're also going back to rebuild the physical temple in Jerusalem. They forgot that you are the temple. They forgot that everything that was physical in Israel is spiritual in us. I know that we get criticized for saying that. I really don't care. It's ridiculous to think that the fallacy and the failure of a people of Israel. See, this is what I'm going to get to now. I love the Jews, if that, but I love the Mexicans. And I care for the islands of the sea. And I love people. Yeah, I love the Africans. I love a lot of folks. You say, but the Jews are God's original people. No, we are his original people. Abraham is his original people. The Jews as a society rejected him. You say, well, he's going to turn back to them. No more than he turns back to everybody else. You say, all of Israel will be saved. Yeah, and so will a whole lot of other folks you think are going to hell. Yeah, and we need to stop trying to do God's work for him and be who he said we should be. We need to let him work for us. The sin of Israel. Let me go back to this, okay? Back to you, Walmack. I'm back over on this. I'm sorry about that. Shouldn't sit on the front, on the corner. It happens every time. When God chose Abraham in the end, in thy seed shall all nations of the earth be blessed. Okay, then here's what starts happening. In that pronouncement, then 